Okay, this is episode 33, I've been informed, I think. And um, obviously we've got Pete Fletcher on again. How are you doing today, Pete? Doing well, man. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I see you've uh, posted a few pictures from New York, tweeted a few pictures. Everything go okay there? I did. I did. I uh, went to go visit my daughter who uh, goes to school up there and uh, finally got on a plane after a year. Uh, you know, that, oh. was, that was interesting. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I managed to, I, we started digging through some old record shops. I didn't find any vinyl, but I did find an old uh, music CD, which I was pretty excited about. So even though I already had it, it was nice to still buy another one. <laughs> Oh, exactly. I love that, man. I love that, that you just go into a random record shop in New York and there's one of our record, one of our albums available to buy. That's that's awesome, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so on the show this week, we've actually got Lee Gale. Now, Lee is from a band called The Long Cut, um, plays guitar in The Long Cut, but also sort of what I thought was quite interesting as well is he's also from Kipax. Do you know what I mean? And uh, which is a link in itself. Um, but yeah, I haven't actually spoke to Lee. Well, what is it like since school? Did, did we chat when we bumped into each other in Japan or not really that much? Uh, no, I don't think we really bumped into each other there. I think our paths kind of, we were yeah, there yeah. roughly the same time. We weren't there for that long. So we didn't, never passed, never really crossed there. Yeah, yeah. So the last time we spoke was probably when we supported the music. Oh. Um, yeah. down in London. Yeah. 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 Yeah, But I mean, I suppose other than even that before then, it'll have been sort of like school, won't it? I suppose when we'll have even like chatted properly. So I thought it'd be really nice to, um, to have you on and just, like I said, man, just have a chat about, you know, being from Kipax and being in bands and, and going to Japan and things like that. That's that, I think that's what interests me about this conversation as well as obviously your, your experiences being in a band sort of how you all came together in that sense. I'm always interested in uh, the origins of bands, you know what I mean? And then how you came together and how that sort of progressed. But yeah, man, so it's very nice to have you on, man. Thanks for coming on. Nice one. Thank you for inviting me. I was really excited when um when yeah you sent me the text and obviously Standish put us in touch and he's claiming his agent's fee of one pound for sorting it out. Uh, but yeah, I was really excited when when yeah got the text. It's yeah, it's good. Uh, Thanks. Uh, that's cool, man. Because and you were just saying then actually that um, half an hour before you were almost getting them sort of pre-show sort of nerves almost. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's been so long since I've done anything like band related where I have to do any kind of, you know, speaking or performing or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, we did the listening party um, last year and I, I, like, I was nervous before that as well. But that's not really, you know, face to face communicating with anybody. So this one is, yeah, definitely those pre-show kind of nerves were kicking in. Definitely. Well, it's funny you say that, actually, because I still get those. And I guess as much as I sort of sit there and say, oh, you know, don't be nervous, it's fine, just have a chat, you know what I mean? As much as I try and preach that, I still sit there for half an hour before, like, <laughs> uh, and I've done like 33 of these, and I always find, like you say, you almost get, and I suppose I never really thought about it until you just said it, actually. You, you almost get those, maybe not quite as intense, but those pre-show nerves. And I guess as much as anything, well, for me, it's all, it's about like, well, I hope I say something interesting or that people want to listen to. Do you know what I mean? That that's just, <laughs> and I thought, you know, it's the same as before you go on stage thinking, well, I hope I don't fuck this up. <laughs> that's it. it. I mean, it's because it it's because it matters. That's right. You you get you get a bit nervous because it because it matters to you. You know, same thing before this, it's you know, this this it matters to me that it's 
you know, it's interesting and, and it's, it's been so long since we've spoken and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's like, say, first band thing that we've done, that I've done in, mm-hmm. in ages. So, but it's good. Those kind of nerves are good. They sharpen you up a little bit. Well, it's funny. Being on a podcast is very similar to, uh, to I guess, playing in a gig in that regard that, you know, when you forget about that and you just be yourself, that's when you're the, you're your best. <laughs> and it definitely is the case with the, with, uh, with podcasting as we've done a bunch of these, I've done another podcast and it's funny how, when you see people, they get a little nervous at first, the minute they start warming up and start really forgetting about the fact that it's being recorded, all of a sudden we have these amazing conversations and they turn out to be, you know, fascinating episodes. Yeah. I'd already forgotten that it was being recorded and you just reminded me. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting point to say, I mean, it's probably a bit premature to cut to it, but I think it's an interesting segue into like the press side of things and whether that's something that you guys sort of always really heavily embraced or, you know, whether that's a side of it that you found awkward and stilted or do you know, do you know what I mean? Because I think it was a bit of a mixture for us. Do you know what I mean? Like some of it, we had quite a combative attitude towards the press in general, I think. Do you know what I mean? Looking back on things, but I don't know if we, if we were ever comfortable because we were so bloody young. I mean, you know, and you you, you guys weren't much older, really, were you? Do you know what I mean? No, not too much. I mean, we were we were a little bit older um, by that time, but yeah, not too much older. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, and I've thought about this, you know, a few times before. It's It was quite an uncomfortable relationship, I guess, with with doing press and things like that. It's it's never something that any, like, there's only three of us in, in the long cut and not something that any of us are being that comfortable with you know we're not particularly outgoing people um yeah. we're quite kind of we can be quite shy and reserved sometimes and and having to you know you want to sit down and tell somebody like your story and and, and tell people about the band and all that kind of stuff but on the other hand actually doing that and and there's an element of kind of bigging yourself up that i'm not entirely that comfortable with with yeah. doing um <laughs> so yeah there's always been a, a little bit like that also some very kind of bizarre press experiences I'm, I'm sure you, you've had them too but you I mean you, you end up doing you know you end up doing kind of interviews for magazines and things like that that you just think your readers just really don't care about yeah. my <laughs> we have nothing to do with this whole scene yeah. so yeah. I'm not yeah I'm not, I'm not you know like fashion things in particular for me mm. I, I was quite uncomfortable with and we you know doing interviews for fashion magazines and things like that and um, I remember. I think the link to a link to Japan. Actually, we did um, an interview for a fashion magazine in um, in Japan when we played Fuji, um, and I just remember it being the most bizarre experience. They were asking us about the clothes we were wearing, and I'm like, I've just got off stage. I'm covered in sweat, and I'm wearing a t-shirt that's you know <laughs> ten years old. <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's yeah, it's a it can be really bizarre sometimes, but then you get other times as well where it's you know it works really well. You know, if the people that you that you're talking to have really kind of connected with with the thing that you're doing, I think it was like an example, kind of more recently when we released our last album, which was a couple of years ago now, um, and we sat down and did quite a, a long interview then with a guy who'd, who'd known about us for you know for a while and kind of followed us for a bit and could you know ask some really kind of insightful questions and about a period when we'd not been so active and we got to talk about that and that it was really nice doing those kind of things. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a bit of both worlds there. Well, I mean, I suppose it's interesting as well with a band such as yourselves where, I mean, you say that, you know, you're not really sort of outgoing people, maybe slightly introverted and, you know, in sort of maybe character. Um, I suppose with your type of music as well, you do your talking on stage. 
Do you know what I mean? So to then step into that interview environment, like to try and, I don't know, say say something that's sort of almost delivering a manifesto, like when, and that's, I think what we struggled with really is that it was so much about our tunes that when we were in the position or opportunity to actually, you know, give any kind of tangible, I don't know, do you know what I mean? Sort of manifesto may be the wrong word, but you know what I'm trying to say, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, we were never really that comfortable with that because I think like you just described, you need to have like, what well, I don't know whether you call it arrogance or confidence or self-belief. There's a, there's a, it's a gray area, isn't it? It's a very fine line where you have amazing artists or musicians or performers, you know, that, that really connect as well when they're talking to people like in, like, you know, in press, for example, but certainly it was never something that came naturally to us. And it's interesting to hear that, you know, it's not something you particularly enjoyed as well. I mean, you know, it's like, especially taking in Japan again, we do like full days of just straight interviews out there, you know, yeah. and that, uh, you know, I suppose it's slightly a, a changed subject really, but that becomes really difficult where you're like, okay, well, we're here from 8am till 8pm and it's just interviews like half hours all one after the other. But once you've said the same thing a few times, do you know what I mean? You're like, you look, it's not like you're, well, you, you lose, you can't be asked saying it anymore. It's not like you lose belief in what you're saying. You just can't be asked saying it again. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. like we had a translator in Japan and after the third, fourth, fifth interview, when we got asked to say, when we got asked the question, <laughs> I just turned to the translator and just went, well, you know, answer to this. You've already translated it. <laughs> you know, wait, there's no point in us talking anymore. Can you just do all interviews? But I, I suppose <laughs> I've gone on, gone off on a slight tangent there. Let's, let's sort of go back a bit really. And um, because, yeah, I mean, you were in a band with Rob, we, you not correct me if I'm wrong. Were you not in Swerve, or have I dreamt that? No, you no, were I in wasn't Swerve. Swerve yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Great many, of, ah. many, uh, many fond memories of watching you guys at various places, the Legion and the band club, and you know, all. I mean, you know, genuinely, genuinely, yeah. really fond memories, man. Yeah, the full kit packs and all that, and by water tour. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was. It was a really good time, though. I mean, that's when, like, that's when I first started playing guitar again um so i you know i'd first started playing guitar when i was seven um mm. at, at junior school and you know you learn to you know you've got your little acoustic guitar that you carry into school and then you learn to play some chords and some you know beach boy songs and things like that yep. which was cool um, john bay and stuff yeah, yeah. exactly yeah and then I, was <laughs> the, I was the kid that had to get an electric guitar and was taking an le- electric guitar and a little amp with me to school that i was too little to be able to carry and all that <laughs> yeah, well, can I just say though? Can I just say though, Lee? I do remember those days and thinking, "Fuck me, man!" Do you know what I mean? I have to say, you look cool. With you, you had an Epiphone, didn't you? Didn't you have your Epiphone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I did. No, in, man. In Swerve, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I always used yeah. to think that it's an awesome guitar, and like I respect you do a lot as a player as well. To be honest. Nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, still obviously yeah, still do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um, I mean that that's like you know. So we we did. I did that like at, at junior school, and then went to high school, and I just didn't play it anymore I was just mm. like I didn't really have a, an outlet for it I guess and I just kind of put it down and I was into you know playing sports and things like that but always like always always into music and then it just kind of I think I can't even remember who it was you know somebody said you play guitar do you want to be in a band kind of thing mm. I was like oh, actually yeah I do yeah um, and just kind of gave it a go and that was it and I've, I've hardly ever been out of a band since then mm. yeah 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 but yeah, it was good times. It was good. It was kind of that moment where you're, you're learning, you know, 
covers and things like that. And we played like loads of Oasis covers and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then you start to kind of tiptoe into into writing your own songs. And that's kind of the point where that, that band kind of had run its course, you know. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of, I guess, the start of the journey um, in, a, in a few different directions, you know, for a few different people. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, writing your own music and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was good. It was a good start. And playing those gigs at, you know, places like Davids and stuff, it seemed like you had a huge crowd there at the time. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, yeah. There were like 100 kids from Big Brickshaw High School all yeah. getting served underage at the bar. That's just an excuse <laughs> to get hammered for everyone, wasn't it? Just an, they did, you know, it didn't matter. We played them same gigs, man. Do you know what I mean? And we were playing Davids. We were playing Walls Get Smaller at Davids, to like you say. Bloody I remember. People. I was there. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I remember absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd like, I don't know, maybe no, it's not a sensitive subject, but I'm, I'm interested to ask you, like, like when we kind of, I don't know, got signed or however you want to look at it, was were you aware of like, a, well, I don't call it jealousy or like fucking anger? Do you know what I mean? At the fact that we sort of managed to transcend Kipax. Do you know what I mean? Were you ever aware of that? I mean, there's, there was obviously a bit of like, oh, I wish I was doing that. Jealousy, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it was never really a yeah okay. <laughs> but it was never, you know it was never like a a resentment kind of thing. It was like a, right. that, that looks so cool. Like I'm. Yeah. It, it was like a, a pride in the you know a band from Kipax and people that I knew as well. People that I went to school with were doing that kind of thing. Um, and it was more kind of energizing, I guess, for me. It was like because you like I remember seeing like the the swerve days you know those bands at school they it kind of it came to kind of a natural end um and we went in kind of you know different directions and things and and ultimately there was another band and and then um which had an equally terrible name um (laughs) and then and then I just wasn't you know in a band for a bit but I was just writing my own songs and stuff and it was kind of on the lead up to me going to university Mm -hmm. um and you guys were about to play the the Brighton's thing, Brighton mm, things. Yeah. Um, yeah. From then, and I'd, I'd seen you obviously like a couple of times before um, playing songs like Walls Get Smaller and stuff. And that was like, you were just on a completely different, you know, direction. It was a different, a different plane. So it wasn't something like where I was sitting going, I could do that. It was right. something like, no, that's, that's their thing. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. yeah. 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 And it's yeah. awesome that, you know, that it's, that it's doing so well. Um, and just kind of spurred you on, I think. That was like the, the feeling around that time. And that was like the time when I was I was going to uni um, and then your, your album came out whilst I was at uni and that kind of stuff, I think. And I'd already started the long cut at that point as well. So, yeah, it was just cool. It was, I just remember it being a really, a really cool time, a really kind of, you know, interesting time for music and it just everything seemed possible. Um, yeah, 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 man. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so what bands and what guitar players, do you know what I mean, were sort of you, like, inspired by, do you know, in terms of the long cut? Because that's one thing I really like about you guys, sort of, in the same way that you say, all right, that's their sound, I think that very much applies to you guys too, do you know what I mean, in terms of um, your sound, it's very unique, do you know what I mean? What, you know, what sort of, what were you listening to really that, to, to sort of make that kind of music? Because I, I really like the description on your... Is it on your Twitter? Your dis- the description of your sound? Post-glam, oh, mindfuck, galloping oh, trance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's probably the most accurate description we've got of it, actually. Um, yeah, it was... I mean, it was really... It was probably like an amalgamation of, of like influences from like the three of us that, that kind of made that, I guess. So, like, growing up, it was 
Britpop was the thing in Kip Act, yeah. you know, every everybody was into Britpop. Um, but you know, before I left there, before I left the uni, it was it was kind of I was starting to get into to other things. You know, I started to listen more to to bands like Mogwai. Um, yeah. I'd had I'd got a was it Uncut magazine that did a, a CD on like the front of it, or it was Uncut or Melody Maker or something like that um, yeah. that had a Cigarettes song on um, that I awesome. can't pronounce. Um, <laughs> and I listened to that, and that just that literally blew my mind. Hmm. Um, and I just listened to that over and over and over again, with it, like in my bedroom at home, with which is like this little kind of box room with a Marshall stack in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was basically my room, a bed and a Marshall stack. Oh um, yeah, and yeah, just kind of listened to that kind of thing over and over and over again. I've always been a huge Radiohead fan, um, so you know, listen to, to that kind of stuff as well. But then meeting like the other two, Stu, um, who's our singer, drummer, keyboard player, electronics guy, all of that kind of stuff. Um, like he came from more of like a metal background. Um, so brought a lot of those kind of influences in and um, introduced me to bands like At The Drive-In, um, oh. Refused and even like Sonic Youth. I'd not really been that, like heard that much Sonic Youth and, and bands like that at the time. Um, so introduced me to a lot of that kind of stuff. And then, John was a lot more kind of, um, he was really heavily into like 60s garage rock um, mm. kind of stuff and um, and more kind of, you know, like country kind of influences, not country and Western, but like, you know, like Wilco and, and, and bands like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so brought a lot of that kind of stuff in as well. And it literally was just a melting pot. Um, we just, we got in a room. Um, like I'd, I'd gone to uni with a demo tip um, and it had um, Spires. I don't think it was called Spires then, but Spires, which is the, it's one of the songs of the first album instrumental. Yeah. Of the first album he had that on it um and i i was just asking around at uni if people wanted to be in a band and a friend of mine on the course she said like she was friends with um this guy who was a drummer who wanted to be in a band so i just passed the tape that was Stu. um yeah. we then um we got this uh, a singer called mark um and he knew john from working on the student newspaper um so we got john in as well and we just yeah. got in a room and we played um spires um, it was in actually it wasn't even a room it was in a cellar did you meet prior to getting in the room and playing it or was that your kind of first meeting I don't actually remember meeting prior to that I mean we must have done but I don't really remember meeting prior to that um, I just remember that first that first time in that basement I think it was probably Mark's house in the basement and then and we played Spires and Stuart listened to it I showed John what the what the, the bass line was which is just really simple just root notes um mm. And we, and he just and we just played it. We just started. He just started playing drums. I just started playing the guitar part, and it just from that minute, it, it just clicked, and we're like, "Wow, this this works." Yeah, I had heard that you guys were initially considering being an instrumental band. Is, um, that, is that true? We were well. We were initially a four piece. So ah. we had we had a singer, um, Mark Jones. He went on to work at Delta Sonic Records and then at Sony and things like that. But um, he yeah he was our singer, and he was playing. A little bit of rhythm guitar and attempted to play tambourine once, which didn't work well. <laughs> um, Stu, Stu was always our go-to tambourine man. Excellent timing on tambourine, Stu. Tambourine is surprisingly difficult to get right, isn't it? It is, yeah, to actually play right. Yeah, everyone thinks they can do it. Stu's like a metronome with stuff like that. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Well, I'm, Stu from I'm the Long Cuts the same way. Uh, he's playing the drums. Like, there's a video if you go online, you can find the uh, video for Transition, uh, which looks like a house party. Great song. Uh, but he's out there just banging on the drums, and all of a sudden he's out from behind the drums, and he's up front with a tambourine <laughs> singing, and and then goes back yeah. to the drums. I'm like, wow, that that dude is uh, yeah, he's 
he's earning his money in this band. <laughs> he definitely yeah, earns his money, yeah. It's, he it's interesting, money. actually. I've heard that word mentioned a couple of times, house party. Well, I mean, was that is that something, or was is that something that was kind of part of that scene? Do you know what I mean? Sort of the whole house yeah. party thing. Yeah, he was. He really was um, back then. So the that video for Transition, was a, it was just an actual house party. We just had a party um, and got a film crew around to film it. Um, so it was just, I think it was like, three or four um, guys from Liverpool that, that came around and just filmed the thing and, and then edited it together and cut out the bits that people weren't allowed to see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. Um, but yeah, just just a, an actual party that we had. But it was um, it was kind of a thing at the time, um, you know, having house parties, having bands around. Um, there was a group um, in Manchester, like a, a collective um, in Manchester called Acoustic Anarchy. Um, right. We would like to do a, a label and put on like club nights and band nights and, and all of that kind of stuff. And they, I guess they were kind of like leading that kind of scene of, of having house parties. And you just go around to like, you know, their house or, or the video was shot in John, our bass player's house um, or, or, you know, whoever's house. Um, yeah. And they just get bands on it. It was all like mates, bands and things like that who like, you know, some of them have gone on to do like really, really good things, you know, there's, like if you, I don't know if you know a band called Nine Block Alps. Um, yeah, yeah. Like they they came out of that same scene. Um, Liam um, from Cortinas. Um, in fact, all the Cortinas guys were like in, in that kind of scene and stuff. And um, oh. like in around those house parties. So yeah, it, it was kind of a thing. And funnily, like you talk about the the press thing as well and how it can sometimes be uncomfortable. Like I, I we used to find that people were always looking for a, an angle with us. Like oh. you know, what's oh. the story? With us, oh. and, and we were we were kind of like, there isn't really one. We just yeah. kind of play music in a band. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I remember, um, NME wanted us to do was like a, a house party, um, like a house party feature for them. Um, but it was like a, a staged house party that we refused to do yeah. at the time. <laughs> and you look you look back on things like that now, and you're like, probably should have done that really. But you know, principles at the time was like, no, we're not staging one. This is a real thing. <laughs> No, man. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for that. A lot of respect for that. Um, and I think we'd have, we'd have done the same thing. We'd have been like, what stage? Do you know, I think it was awkward enough when, well, I don't know if you picked, was it on the one of the, the deg ones where we were talking about when we made the people video yep. at the blank canvas uh, under the dark arches and everyone, they made everyone dance with no music on. And like, oh, they're all my mates looking at me as if to say, fucking hell, mate, save me. They're expecting me to dance here with no tunes on. And I'm stood there, it's like, what the fuck is going on? You know what I mean? They're all dancing in this dusty, bloody tunnel under this bridge and there's all this dust getting kicked up and there's really cool lighting and that, but there's no no tunes going on. But yeah, I really, I think that house party thing is like, I really like that. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast and so we've had to get organised back on to, to talk about that, but there was actually... Um, place in Manchester we went on a couple of times called the Beechwood Hotel um, and it uh, was it I can't remember the lad's second name it was a, a guy called Alex really sound lad and um, yeah we went to a couple of proper fucking mental house parties there to be fair uh, yeah. you know it's not I mean having never gone to uni I sort of I, you know I'd, I've never really lived that kind of student life if you know yeah, what I mean yeah. although I kind of live my own version of it in a band because I mean, every fucking night were one of those parties. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It would it was just on a bus or it were in someone's hotel room. Do you know when there's all twelve of us, all band and crew, all in one fucking hotel room. Do you know what I mean? And um, but yeah, I really like um, 
I just like the concept of having an house party and getting a, getting a band around to play. Do you know what I mean? I think that's really cool. I think it's like, I think it's a cool thing that it's a scene that bands are born out of and maybe even, you know, carry a similar vibe. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I just think that's a cool thing. You know, it, it comes with its own unique challenges as well, particularly yeah. from, a, from a technical perspective. So, you know, a number of times that you, you turn up, I remember one um, party that we were playing, um, it was an acoustic anarchy party. It was around at their house, um, at a legendary house um, on Oak Road in in Withington, Didsbury kind of border in Manchester. Yeah. Um, became legendary for house parties, and you know we were we were like the, the bands that we are now. So we've got all the electronics and all that kind of stuff, um, and we were there. And it's just your mate's house um, with yeah. this tiny little PA, two little speakers there. Um, we were basically playing in this kitchen, which was kind of open plan into the living room. So there was like a little breakfast bar kind of thing with a speaker sat on it there and um, all that kind of stuff. We were like, the speaker's there and there's us here. And we're like, okay, how do we hear the drum machines? <laughs> we can't play if we can't hear the drum machines. So we're just like, right, we're just going to have to crank this thing right up as, as high as we can and just turn one of the speakers around to face us and everybody else has the other speaker. They have yes. the only way to get through it. And and the party that we, we shot the transition video at, houses are really not built gigs like the no. floor was just oh, yeah. bouncing um and there was some real kind of concern from like the film crew and things like that that somebody was just going to fall through the floor and real like, structural like, concerns yeah like actually because they were the only sober people there and they were just like <laughs> this is dangerous like hey, it'll be fine don't worry <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It definitely what reminded me of the college days for sure. And it kind of has like a Blink-182 vibe for me. I don't know, like that that whole energy of the music of your first album was very, uh, you know, college scene, just young, talented guys that are just having a good time. And so that was very, uh, which was a very popular scene in uh, in the US back then. So I, I really digged it. I found that the other albums that you had were also really good, but sort of different you guys transitioned into definitely more towards the electronic uh just just a different sound than some of the earlier stuff was, was that a very intentional um i think it was probably just a result of circumstance um i think so i mean like you say the the, the first album was it, it was kind of born out of that scene we wrote most of the album whilst we were still at uni um so you know that kind of party vibe i guess mm-hmm. yeah. um so some, i mean it, it was probably quite a downer of a party when you listen to the full album yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know the, those kind of those kind of higher energy songs were kind of born out of that that kind of thing whilst we were at uni the other albums were i guess they just kind of came from like they they, they turned out that way i guess out of necessity so yeah. we'd we'd already kind of hit a rocky road by the time we got to like the second album mm-hmm. um we, you know, we released the first album and things were, were flying at that point up until like shortly after we released the first album um, mm. and then we got dropped. And then that just kind of set off a kind of a snowball effect mm. with where, where all of a sudden, you know, we'd gone from having, um, you know, we were on a major label and, and an imprint with a, a really cool um, indie label, you know, Delta Sonic. And, you know, the agents and management and blah, 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 publishing companies and all of that kind of stuff and everybody all around you, all the press and, and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it just fell, fell away. You know, it was just like, you're not making any money. You know, you're not selling enough records. And it just kind of fell away. And we were like, but we've still got stuff that we want to say. Yeah. You know, we've still got things that we want to do. And it was never really about being successful. Like, as you'll know, that's, it's not why you do it. If that's if that's why you're going to do it, then you're not going to have a very nice time doing it because it's, yeah. it's too difficult. So it's never really about that. So you just you kind of just don't stop and you find a way through it. 
So we ended up recording that second album in our rehearsal room at the oh, time. Wow. And we got David, the guitarist from Nine Black Alps. Um, I was sharing a house with him at the time and he produced it for us. So we set up, we had like this little corridor that in the, in the rehearsal room, it was underneath the gym and there was like a corridor that went down to our room that was also kind of private. So we set up this little makeshift control room on some flight cases and things in the, in the corridor and then had the, the main room as the control room. And it was this cold, damp place. You had to be careful when you were recording in case there was some massive crashes on the ceiling from the wakes up in the gym above you. Oh. Um, things like that happening. And, you know, did all like drums and, and loud things and stuff there and then recorded some vocals at people's houses and in in shower cubicles and you know all of that kind of stuff so i get you know the sound of that kind of record was just kind of born from from that kind of stuff and it was i think listening back to that kind of record as well it was written at a very frustrating time for mm. us and i think i i can hear that in the songs there's a lot of like frustration in those songs and a lot of kind of striving to get back to something that isn't really coming back you know it's, yeah. it's a it, it, that that ship had sailed but it's that kind of striving to get back to that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, when you say that ship had sailed, do you mean for the sound or what, what, what sense do you mean? I mean, in terms of the, like everything that we had around the, the first album, you have all the the hype around the first album, you have the the labels, you know, coming to to see you at gigs and all of that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, it was easy then. It was easy to get a record deal, which is a, a strange thing to say, but when you kind of wrapped up in that kind of whirlwind, yeah. You don't really think about how much you you like you are gonna end up needing to try to kind of get that. And you want to get like some of that back, I guess. You want a record label to like your music and want to oh, put yeah. it out. And it was all yeah, around yeah. that kind of striving to do it. Um yeah. and we kind of you know, we 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 did ultimately um, you know, get a, another label to put it out, a label that we would um we'd worked with for ages in Manchester called Melodic and they they run in-house press as well and they they've been our press company since the start. So we knew those guys really well. Um yeah. and they were really up for putting the album out, which was like it was a really good kind of home for us at that time. Yeah. But, but kind of you know getting to that point you can really hear that I think the the stress of that in the songs. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating to hear you say that. Really, I mean, I know obviously, well, I know exactly how you feel. Um, we were dropped twice. I think we were dropped twice. Um, and yeah, it. I mean, you know, without wanting to dig it up, and I don't know, maybe uh, was that something that you maybe you know you personally or you as a collective did you find that traumatic being dropped, yes. or do you think it was kind of like just another event? No, I, I definitely found it traumatic. Um, it was, you know, we, we felt really secure in the place yeah. that we were. So we'd, you know, we'd been working with Delta Sonic for, I mean, since 2004, I think. So a couple of years before the album even came out. And then we'd been working with Sony as well. So Delta Sonic were um, an imprint on Sony. So um, we'd signed, you know, a deal with Sony, but had like our our kind of biggest fan i guess at sony was the head of sony uk so you feel quite secure um like in that place and he just never really considered that that wasn't gonna gonna last you know and ultimately that guy left sony somebody else came in and there was a a kind of a huge cult at that point of both bands and labels um that got dropped from Mm -hmm. sony delta sonic were one of those labels you know we were one of those bands so all of a sudden that whole like safety net was just pulled away. Hmm. Um, and I, I guess I didn't really see it coming. Um, and then you're like, well, all right, you pick yourself up, brush yourself down. Let's go get another deal. Um, you know, I, 
I still think that we're great. Let's go do this. And you start to, you know, send new demos around and things like that. And the, you're not really getting the same reaction as before because you're not at that new band anymore. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it counts. It counts for a lot being that yeah. that new thing, doesn't it? And and, that, yeah, and that kind of paranoia starts to creep in a bit, I guess. And I don't know if paranoia is the right word, but you know, yes, it is. It, it is. I think. It. Are these songs good enough? Mm. Yeah. You know, but, but I like them, but why is nobody biting anymore? That well, that second album had some pretty, really good songs. I mean, uh, "Open Hearts," for example, in my opinion, is a big song. It's a good quality song that i could hear on the radio today still i mean it's, it's it has a really good sound to it so uh, there's definitely uh, you guys definitely even though it sounded in my opinion different from the first album i thought you guys had a really really good sound thank you um that i mean that particular song almost didn't make the album it wasn't <laughs> even written when we recorded the album um that kind of came out of i guess a, a small amount of, of desperation that we just didn't think that the album was complete when we completed it um and needed another song um, right. We had that kind of in various different demo forms. Um, I think it was like two halves of, of completely different songs, um, mm. and I kind of in various different demo forms. And kind of in the pressure of that kind of situation to sort of put that together, and that yeah. came out. Um, and that's, I mean, that's my my favorite song of the album. And Interesting. It turned out to be like the, the most well liked one. Album, I think. Yeah, I, I like anything born out. I mean, it was the same for us. It was exactly the same with Open Your Mind, that we need yeah. another song. We're like, look, we need another song here. We ain't got enough. And, and we didn't open your mind. But I'm interested in, um, you know, when you when you experience those moments of adversity, do you did you kind of exist as a unit or was one of you kind of the one that were like, well, no, come on. Do you know what I mean? Did you have a leader in that sense or was it very much sort of, you know, all three of you in that sense? Um, it's, I mean, it's always been all three of us. Yeah. We've, you know, we've, we've always kind of stuck together in that sense. I think, and I don't think the other two will, will kind of mind me saying, but I think I did take on a lot of the driving us forward. Yeah. Um, it's important. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, on, I kind of took a lot of that onto, onto my shoulders, which I, you know, not solely, but like I wasn't the only one that did that, but I guess that I, I kind of had a feeling of desperation about it. You know, is this is what, it's what I wanted to do for yeah. my whole life. Um, yeah. And it was kind of slipping away and I didn't want it mm. to slip away. Um, yeah. So there's that kind of, you know, desperation about it. So I, I kind of, I did drive a lot of that, but we've always been, you know, a unit together. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, desperation and driving things forward like that takes its toll as well. Oh, um, it does. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a knife edge. Do you know what I mean? As much as people look at it. Yeah, man, when you're when you, when you going and it's moving, you know you're untouchable, but it is a it is a knife edge, and do you know what I mean? You you walk it with a smile on your face, but you every well any anyone who's got any responsibility, do you know what I mean? Walks around, especially when like you like you describe when when everything around you disappears and you're on your own at that point, do you know what I mean? It takes I don't know it takes a lot of character, doesn't it? Yeah, it it takes some it, it certainly takes some determination, I think, to to get back on your feet, but it's. You know, this is this is why we ended up in a band in the first place. It's yeah. we kind of we love making music, and that's kind of just what you keep on doing. That's really all you can do. Just kind of yeah. keep on making music. I remember at one point, whilst we were, I mean, this is skipping ahead a little bit to like the third album, which was really like album two point five, I guess, because it never yeah. you never saw the light of day that one. But there was one point where I, I I did go a bit too far with trying to drive us 
forward to finish things and that's probably one of the reasons why I ended up as 2.5 rather than 3 um, I, you know I had um, I had a baby on the way as well mm. and I was like we're going to finish this before the baby's born we're going to do it we've got some great songs and it's, and it's going to happen um, and trying to kind of force things that weren't really ready to be forced and kind of came up with yeah that that album 2.5 um, which you look back on it now and you're like it wasn't right. Did you did did you meet resistance from the other two guys when you said that you went too far, kind of driving and pushing? Did you did you feel at the time that were they kind of with you on it, or did you think that they weren't quite believing as you? Do you know what I mean? Was was it purely about the time frame, or was there something else behind kind of rushing to get it ready? Do you know what I mean? Um, I think that they probably tolerated my pushing, but. <laughs> ultimately had a, a better perspective on it than I did at the time, right. which, it, which you know, you don't kind of see at the time. And now looking back at it, um, I'm like, well, yeah, they were right. You know, we needed more time to work on things and it was, it was silly to try and push those kind of things. So, hmm. um, but they've always been very tolerant of my ridiculous ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good, man. You know, it's what being in the band's about, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like recognising when someone's um, got the bit between the teeth creatively and letting them you know what I mean letting them sort of vibe with it and I think we were very much like that you know there were different periods where each one of us had, had sort of played that role but I mean again I suppose in a similar way to you I don't think any of you know the music boys had mind saying that you know I were very much a, that I were very much that driving force there was me in the band and then there was Tim the manager our manager externally um, Tony as well but Tony much more sort of business minded Tim was the one that was what I would describe as a cheerleader mm. because I think every band uh, needs like a, a cheerleader Leader that's really close to them that they trust that they believe you know be it manager or it can be any number of people but Tim were brilliant at that you know just coming up and just being like really vibey and filling you full of confidence I think as you know I think every band needs um needs someone in that position yeah yeah absolutely I think it just kind of it it kind of takes the pressure off a little bit I mean you you, you know you're still you're still going to be doing the the, the pushing and the feeling the same things and stuff. But if there's somebody there with you to share that, it's it definitely takes the pressure off a little bit, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's one thing that I'm really interested to touch on on different levels, really, and that's Japan. Do you know what I mean? Um, from, you know, from a band's perspective and just from the fact that you got to go to Japan, man, which is, uh, it's something that's quite rare. Do you know what I mean? It's not, not, not all bands get to sort of go to Japan. Do you know what I mean? I said I, we took it as a massive privilege. And like nowadays, there's, because there's not the money. I mean, obviously nowadays it's totally different, but even pre-COVID, um, you know, there isn't the money in music for bands on the first single of a bloody EP to be taken over to Japan. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, how did that come about as part of a rush of that first album? Or was it for you guys, was it a bit similar to us in a sense that you just happened to make a sound that those guys dig? Do you know what I mean? Like Japanese fans, they, they love that sort of unique high energy sound, do you know what I mean? And guitars, do you know, is, yeah. is, how do you think that all came about? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I mean, like you, when, when it came about, it, we just viewed it as a, a massive privilege. We were like, that was the, you know, that was the pinnacle of, of what you can do in a band. You get to go to Japan and play in Japan. And it's like, mm. wow, this is incredible. Um, and it was, you know, it lived up to everything. Um, it, it was absolutely amazing. Um, I think it, all of that kind of stuff came about for us before we actually released the album. 
Wow. So before we'd released it anywhere. So we'd had, um, it was one or maybe two EPs out at that point. I don't know if both of them were out in Japan um, at that point when we first went. Um, so we went to, went to Japan twice. First time for Fuji. Um, and then the second time just to uh, play a gig in Tokyo. We went to, all the way to Japan for one gig in Tokyo, which was So was, was the first, was the first, when you, when you came the first time, did you literally land and do Fuji and then leave? Or did you do anything else along that time? Right. So we had, I mean, obviously it's a long journey to Japan. Yeah. So, so you pack you pack as much in as possible if you're going so over as a band. That's the rule, yeah. That's, yeah, that's kind of the rule. We didn't get very long there. Though. So, you know, we, we started the holiday to Japan as we were viewing it on the plane, as you do. In fact, on the journey down to the, down to the plane, I think. And then we're on this flight, which is like a 13-hour flight, and there's hardly anybody on the plane. <laughs> oh, really? You lucky bastards! Fuck's sake! It's like that anymore. There's hardly anybody there on the plane. Okay, so every, time we flew, every time we flew to Japan, it were full planes. I mean, a couple of times, I think there were once I got like four seats to myself and I fucking laid down the entire <laughs> fucking time. What That's what like, but yeah. You got a plane to yourself, man, got it. So, row of seats to ourselves. Um, about like three quarters of the way through this flight, I'm thinking, so, you know, a couple of like, um, like people with us, you know, guitar tech, sound engineer, tour manager, that kind of stuff. I'm thinking, where have they gone? Um, so you kind of go for a little wonder open up this little curtain and they sat at a bar in business class and they just flagged <laughs> their way into business class drinking all the free drinks at the bar and like why have you not come to tell us oh, this? you bastard that's tight <laughs> is that yeah yeah so they're all sat there so you know we're obviously you know drinking on the flight and stuff and it's a it, it's brilliant um, and then you get there and there's a five hour drive to Fuji oh um, boy so you get in this and it's hot there as well but you get in this like air-conditioned van, bottles of water, so you're refreshing and stuff. By the time you get to, by the time we got to Fuji, we'd been awake for like 30 hours or something like that. And it was the Thursday, like Thursday kind of afternoon. And we're literally just dead on our feet. Like, oh, I can't, I can't stay awake. But no way were we missing a second of Fuji. <laughs> so it was just like, right, hotel, drop bags off, downstairs for some food, drink, wake up a bit. and managed to get, you know, like second wind, um, so just walked down to um, down to the festival, um, and it was the Thursday before the festival starts properly. So um, loads of DJs and things on there. So we were like, yeah, we're just gonna have a bit of an explore, listen to some DJs and, and stuff like that. And you get down there, and it's just it's just an amazing thing that happens that people know who you are. Mm. So we get down there, and there's people kind of spotting us when we first walk in, <laughs> and then before we know it, we've got this circle of people around us holding our EPs that they've imported from the UK. Wow. Um, they're, they're not available there yet, but holding them that they brought with them for us to sign. It's like, this is blowing my mind. We've had absolutely <laughs> nothing like that. No experience like that anywhere else, like at all. Um, and it, it was just completely mind-blowing. So, you know, spent that first night with with minds blown. Um, the next day was the, the day of the gig. And we, you know, we that day was just a gig press yeah, me label more press, loads of loads more press, and then we had to leave after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got like you know a few hours, I guess, um, at most to kind of explore the site and the festival and all of that kind of stuff. Well, um, I mean, did you do did you do press with that? Did you do press with that little McDonald's booth behind you in that little room with the McDonald's booth at Naiba? Oh, I'm not you sure if it was McDonald's booth there. It was in a. It was just in the press tent. I think it was quite a, a boring. Oh, kind of was it in one of the tents? All right, was it not up in the hotel? 
No, no, no. Oh, no, right. No, it's just press tent on the festival site. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, I've, I've had a massive fucking smile on my face just listening to you like say all that stuff and hearing hearing the excitement and enthusiasm in your voice because obviously that's exactly what we went through do you know what I mean just entirely and and I'll do I'll do a separate podcast about this with with the lads talking about Fuji because there's so much we can talk about but exactly like you described Lee I mean you know um, to be fair our first was it did we play Fuji on our first trip over yeah we did so yeah, I mean the excitement going there for the first time, and there's a podcast all in itself talking about Japan as a place. But there is something incredibly unique about the fact that you've already done a four-hour drive down to Heathrow. You've already waited a few hours to get on plane. You've then done a thirteen-hour flight that you might be looking to sleep on. Um, but then you're there, and you know the jet lag starts to set in. Then you've got what I don't. If you did it in five hours, you were lucky because it's usually an eight-hour drive. Is that late? <laughs> from from Narita up to Naiba, it's usually an eight-hour drive because of the of the traffic on the Tokyo Bridge. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, it's absolutely insane. But yeah, if you did it in five hours, you're doing really well. But yeah, the, I mean the drive up there is just incredible, isn't it? And and you're going through scenery where you're looking out of the left window of the bus, going, Jesus Christ, that's thousands of feet down there. Do you know what I mean? On yeah. the on these thin roads, beautiful um, mountain setting, and then you get up to the hotel. I mean, the hotel's nothing special itself. It's it's a ski resort, but that's not the point. Do you know what I mean? The the whole magic of Fuji is in that site. No one really spends much time in hotel anyway. There, yeah. um, you know, the whole magic, like you described. There's whole swathes of that site that are just—it's just like a massive party. Do you know what I mean? Strummerville, which is probably where you went on the Thursday night. Um, usually, when everything kicks off, uh, that goes wild, and there's all sorts of pyrotechnic things going on there. Yeah. But yeah, it's—it really is an indescribable experience as an artist. I mean, obviously, I can't speak from like you know being a punter, so to speak. But um, it's so highly revered as a festival. It's, it's some of the best times we've ever had. Um, in our lives in Japan. I mean, we did Fuji, what, three times? And I mean, I can't remember how many times we actually went to Japan. Must be 10, probably more. Must be easily. So it, it really does have its own magic, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's, it's it, unbelievable. It, there's just, there's nothing else like it, you know, mm. in the world. And like, I remember we, we got on stage there and, and avoiding the story of what our tour manager dressed like. We, we got on, on stage there and... You know, there's, there's like in this tent that's just full, like full to capacity with people singing along to like the guitar melodies and things like that. Because yeah. we had a lot of instrumental songs, you know, and they're singing along to, to guitar melodies, to instrumentals and things like that. And it's just it's mm-hmm. wild. It's completely wild. That's did, really you, did you play Did you play the red marquee, the big tent? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the red marquee. Yeah, yeah. That's where we had our first performance where it, it holds 5,000 that, but they said, oh, we think there were 8,000 people trying to get in that place when we played. But yeah. it does, I mean, it does have its own magic. So anyway, I, but I'm, I'm interested as well on, you know, the second the second time you guys came out to Japan and what you sort of, what you did, what you did then, you know, where did you play and that sort of stuff. So second time was around when um, the album was coming out. So that was a proper kind of, you know, press run kind of thing. Um, we yeah. were there for a week and we had one wow. gig in that week. Yeah, um, man. That's great, gig. man. Loads of press, but also loads of time off. Um, Brilliant. That's what Tokyo, you need. And yeah. it was incredible. It was like, because, yeah. you, you know, touring around, you, re- you very rarely get time to spend, like, in a city to, um, you know, to explore that city and stuff. You normally yeah, you get there all the setting up and all that kind of stuff. You play your gig, 
you got yeah. to get that time to spend there was incredible. And yeah, we had a, a translator with us and um, like a few people from label and things like that looking after us, showing us where to go, um, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was amazing. One of the best experiences of my oh. life. Um, it's so it's absolutely magic in it. It's so fucking because, like you say, to have that time off as well. And you know, I used to. One thing I used to love about jet lag over there was I'd just get up at like three, or oh, not go to sleep at all, and you just walk around the city at night. Do you know what I mean? Wherever you are, and you just yeah. you just walk around the streets and get to know it. Do you know what I mean? And as you say, when you've got the right people looking after you as well, they know all the cool night spots all the cool bars do you know what i mean all the cool people and stuff like that and it, it, i don't I, I don't think i've had had as much fun anywhere else in the world um on nights out in japan mm. um and and also as well it's probably the only place where i've been that's really felt like um well certainly that we played as a band that it's felt like it was a a, a different place if you know what i mean you know what yeah. i mean like uh, you know yeah. the you could feel the difference in the culture and things like that just how polite people are and, you know, just different things. And I have to ask though, did, did you have a Moss burger? Did you go to Moss burger? No. Oh man. Oh, that you, oh, I don't know anything about Moss burger. What's this? Oh, fucking hell. It's the only thing you've dropped the ball on there. Mate. <laughs> Honestly, like if you go to Japan and this is applies to listeners as well, it's, you know, Moss burger is fast food based, Japanese fast food, but it's burgers and that, but it's all like, freshly hand made to order so it's like proper it's it's lovely gear but uh yeah man like honestly we live on moss burgers out there it's, uh, absolutely like shits on anything else moss burger you got oh, you should have tried it. you should have tried it but yeah so did you get did you get to have some good nights out then in japan as well do you know what i mean did you yeah. get to take advantage of that yeah some amazing nights out i mean you know a few nights where you kind of like you know, it, it was kind of a. I mean, we DJed there one night, um. So awesome. that was like one of the things on the agenda. But it was like I am a terrible DJ. I'll, I'll <laughs> hold my hand up. I am shocking. Um, a DJ and I've DJed like places like around the UK and stuff like that. You know, you're in a band. People ask you if you want to come and DJ and stuff. Um, I used to bring my my missus with me, my wife. Um, oh, who no. incidentally, I told her I was going to tell you this as well. Um, she um was madly in love with you. Um, when Ooh. You were little kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe like seven or eight or something like that. Yeah. I think your mum had to tell her to stop following you around. I think that's made me blush. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Kelly Rose, my wife, you'll, you'll know her. Um, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, she's a brilliant DJ. I used to just bring her with me oh, wow. um, and, I was like, oh, and then pretend it was you and i'll stand there I'd, yeah just like bez does <laughs> that's fucking brilliant did you did you go did you did you go to the lexington queen did anyone take you to the lexington queen oh i can't remember it's, What's a, the it's, a, it's a nightclub that's just full of fucking russian models oh no <laughs> you'd know you'd know if you'd been there trust me you'd no. know if you'd been there no you never did the lexington no, queen oh man someone Someone dropped that ball. Literally every time we were there, it's like Lexington Queen. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, no, I've never felt no. I have never felt so unattractive in my entire life. You walk in that <laughs> fucking place and you're like, oh my God, do you know what I mean? Oh, just fucking ridiculous. But yeah. Um, I could I could do a fucking entire series about Japan and like nights out in Japan. And did you get taken for any shit hot meals? Like, do you know what I mean? Did um, you go for it? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. So we 
like obviously you got like you know people from the label and things like that that um are taking you out when we went for this really like incredibly posh meal one night with like loads of sushi and and all mm. kinds of um like all kinds of stuff there i remember there being like um deep fried fish bones there yep. which yep. i was like deep fried fish bones that's that's insane why would you eat that and then tried it i was like that's incredible yeah fine i get it um yeah so all of that kind of stuff the best meal that we had there though um and one of the like one of the best experiences as well on the last night there um we were like right let's just try doing this all by ourselves um so no translator nobody showing us where to go or anything like that let's just head out and see where we get to and we eventually after like much walking around found this little restaurant kind of like down this side street um, that looked kind of cool and we went in and we couldn't speak Japanese mm. nobody in the restaurant could speak English and after much kind of hand gesturing and, and all that kind of stuff <laughs> we figured out that our sound engineer could speak French and the guy in the kitchen washing the pots could speak a little bit of French well, that, um, that's all so you we ordered some fish and some other stuff that was the whole <laughs> order um, and they just brought us stuff out to the table um, and they were bringing like, you know, these whole like uncooked fish out and then like <sighs> blow torching them at the table for us and things like that. It was, it was incredible. It was, yeah. it was so good. So it, it worked so out. The food was good. I thought you were going to say it was really bad. No, oh, no, man. No, it was okay. really good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's certainly one of the things that we loved. Um, like President Shebo's again, like Stu, Stu, I don't know if Stu still listens to these, um, but his, his eyes are lovely up when I mention President Shebo's. Every time we go there, just fucking hell. To like Tepanyaki, like they, they, they could do it all in front of you. It's just incredible. Um, but yeah. Try the hot coffee from a can in the vending machines on the street. Oh yeah, man, of course. Of course I have, yeah. You, you are talking to someone, a veteran of going to that country, man. <laughs> have, you, have you done... Have you done the thing where you wake up in the middle of the, where you get up in the middle of the night in the hotel room, you're desperate for a fucking drink, you open the minibar and then you're confronted with all these tins and like in your, in your sleepy stupor, you're like, oh, that's orange juice. And then you drink it and you're like, it's orange and fish or something like that. Or just, <laughs> just the oh. most, you know, obviously because they have different palates and appreciate sort of different yeah. sort of fl- flavors and things. I mean, we were often prevented with confectionery. And, um, you know, I love Japan and everything about it, but Japanese confectionery is not really my thing. Honestly, it's like, wow, is it is this supposed to be nice? I'll just smile politely. <laughs> so did, you, did you never fall into that trap of the minibar in the middle of the night? Well, we fell into a trap with a minibar, but not quite that one. So we, right. we had it. It was, you know, I think it might have even been the first day there and we had a full day like of press. Um, afterwards, we were we were meeting the record company. It was there at their headquarters there in in Tokyo, um, and then we had like just a, a whole cycle of press there. Yeah. Um, but it was our first night there, um, and we weren't going anywhere because we needed to be up really early. So we just kind of sat. It was me and Stu and our sound engineer Chris, like just sat in, in the hotel room, just having some drinks. And Chris is teetotal. So he wasn't drinking at all. So me and Stu were drinking and then we were like, all right, my, my mini bar's done. Stu, go get the drinks from your <laughs> mini bar. So I drank all of Stu's mini bar. And then Chris, go get all the drinks from your mini bar and drank all of that as well. And before we knew it, it was five o'clock in the morning and we had to be up for eight o'clock. Well, we had to be out of the hotel for eight o'clock oh, um, yeah. for this press run. And this is our first like proper Japanese press. Right. So we're like, oh man, we've ruined it. And <laughs> we, we, we both woke up in the morning and we were just like shells of men 
<laughs> we're trying to do this press tour um, with like people bringing us drinks and we're like are you okay you don't look very well it's like um yeah I, I, i'll be fine i'll get through it yeah like the, the, pro- <laughs> like the, the promoters first. the promoters will have been even more ill when they saw the bill from the minibar you know what I mean? <laughs> honestly if you drank three minibars dry that'll be about a thousand dollars do you know what i mean seriously oh, yeah is that when the fashion interviews happen or like, you know, Gales is, is featuring an Adidas t-shirt with vomit on it. There's <laughs> <laughs> certainly, there's certainly, we have, um, uh, well, I mean, you know, are we going to say art and music out there, art and music everywhere, but certainly they have the, some of their publications there, you know, their magazines are very music and then very art, do you know what I mean? And I always found those interviews like the most interesting, to be honest. I mean, like you say, harking back to the earlier point in the conversation that sometimes, you know, sometimes even when you have been doing interview after interview after interview after interview and the ball in your fucking mind to death, suddenly someone comes along and says something interesting and it's like, oh, boom, it sparks you back into life. Do you know what I mean? You're like, all oh, right, someone I can actually talk to with. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. I do remember there being some really interesting interviews there. Um, it was, you know, even like in that press room, but also some very bizarre ones. So it was the winter in the lead up to Christmas um, and we were being asked, you know, what our favourite Christmas songs were and <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Christmas themed interviews and that kind of stuff. And, well, yeah. it's one, it's the one place where you play ball, Japan. Like we never never did encores. We did on we do we do or did encores in Japan. It's the mm. only place we do encores. And another place in France where they threatened us if we didn't play another song. So <laughs> we, we played an encore then. But other than that, Japan is literally the only place where we do encores. And I don't did you do much radio over there? Much live radio, not playing but talking. Did you do much live mm. radio interviews? Yeah, I think we did a couple over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I yeah, mean, man. it's a long time ago. It's a hazy memory, but I think we, yeah, I think we did a few. I remember being in a couple of radio studios there. It's certainly one of the only places we'd play ball. Do you know anywhere else? If they're like, oh, will you don't say that in this voice, and then get him to do that, you'd be like, <laughs> fuck off. Do you know? What I mean? <laughs> there, you're like, yeah, of course, of course. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I tell you what, I used to do there as well because they have an insane work ethic in Japan. They really do, and. I always used to make a, a point of principle when we were at Toshiba EMI, the um, the label offices. Um, you know, I'd go around the whole floor with everyone and, you know, just say thank you very much for your hard work and stuff like that. Because I tell you what, it's little touches like that that make people go extra mile for you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? When you've when you've got that that radio plugger trying to get your stuff on the radio, little touches like that are what um, you know, that's not why I did it, but looking back on it, I think, you know, like it, it, it's genuine gratitude in it. Yeah. And I think you'll probably connect with it as well, especially having gone through having it then effectively losing it or it going away, how precious it kind of seems like it was. And then you kick yourself for not fucking realizing, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. But yeah, I mean that whole, the whole, like both times we've, we've been to Japan, like I, I just can't speak highly enough of like that experience, you know, everybody there was, incredible you know the whole experience is incredible some of the things that you get to do like i remember we went to this um this artist's um studio whilst we were there i can't even remember how this came about but it was somebody like who, who i think they create like these kind of models and stuff and they gave us some of these like you know kind of like japanese kind of manga character kind of yeah yeah like create those kind of stuff and and those kind of things I need i need john on this call because he will remember exactly what i'm talking mm-hmm. about right. and i'm probably way off um, with what with what I mentioned here, but I remember we went to a studio and it was just incredible, like looking around at all the all the stuff that like he's working on. You just 
you don't get a chance to do that just yeah, in, in no. normal everyday life and getting those kind of experiences there was just, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, and that's interesting to touch on really um, in terms of how did you, you know, was it a difficult process for you personally to transition from having those opportunities to not, or is it is that what brought about sort of that edgier, more panicked idea, if you know what I mean, that we're trying to rush that album 2.5 out? It was a really difficult process. And I don't think I really, I realized how difficult it was until relatively recently. The, that whole kind of process, because we, we've never really stopped, never really stopped being a band. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we released like the first album in 2006. We were dropped at some point in 2007, I think. Next album, 2009. And then the next, the album after that wasn't until 2018. But in that whole period, we were still, a band we were still functioning as a band still Mm. meeting all the time still writing all the time um and it was that constant strive to to kind of get kind of get something back that that you that you'd lost i guess um but but to that constant strive to to do the thing that you love doing and it really kind of took its toll you really didn't it wasn't until relatively recently that they kind of realized how much kind of toll it had taken and needed and needed them to take a bit of a break. And it was around kind of November, November, 2019, I think it was where it kind of really hit. And I was like, I need to stop hmm. um, for a bit. Um, and it made me, you know, quite ill. Hmm. I just, and I just needed to stop and then, you know, roll on March, 2020. Yeah. Um, this little break that I was having for a couple of months is now, how long into it are we? Are we into exactly. this break now? <laughs> <laughs> so it's been, yeah, it was quite a you know weird kind of coincidence with you know those the like the timing was weird with that, so it turned into a really kind of extended break. And I'm still kind of thinking now, you know, we've got we've got shows that are booked for for next year. Mm, um, right. We've got plans for this year that we've not started doing yet. We've been writing demos and passing you know music back and forth and things like that. And there's still a part of me that's thinking. Do I do I want to get back into that whole thing now? Yeah. Because I, yeah. I want I want to get back into it when I'm at a point where I'm just doing it because I enjoy it and not feeling there's a pressure that I right. need to I need to have achieved something with this, yeah. which I think was a pressure that I was always kind of putting on just on myself. Nobody else was putting that pressure on me. It was just on myself. But I need to to do this and have achieved something with it. Um, I need to have achieved this. I need to you know there's this thing that I want to be doing and I need to do that. And that you can't take that pressure forever. And I don't want to work. Okay. You know, I don't. I don't want to be in a band with where I, that's all I feel. That pressure. No, yeah. it's not healthy. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm getting back to the point now where it's just. I just really like these tunes, and I just want to get back together in a band with I those noticed- two and play those songs again because it's fun. Yeah, um, which is it's great to be getting back to that again now. Yeah, even the third album had a couple of really good songs. I liked Arrows, uh, Death Mask, but but you you did a remix with Maps on the song uh, Pop It. How did that come to be? Um, so we've known uh, James uh, Maps for a long time. Oh, um, okay. Since, um, since we were, you know, touring first album and stuff, he he came and supported us when we were touring the first album before his first album came out. Um, so we've known him for a long, long time. Always loved his music. With that particular song, I think I can't remember what kind of sparked it. I think maybe I'd seen that he was releasing some new music or something like that, and I was just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he wanted to do a remix swap? Mm. Um, so, you know, I don't have any money to actually pay you, um, but do you want to do a bit of a swap? Because we, you know, we do remixes as well. Nowhere near as successfully as he does remixes. Right. <laughs> um, but it was just like, yeah, 
he was like, to be honest, I haven't got anything for you to remix right now, but I'd love to do a remix of one of your songs. So um, yeah. we just sent him the whole album. It's like, pick anything you want, just do whatever you want. And he, yeah, he picked Poppick and came back with that. And nice. um, I'm, I'm, I'm borderline liking his remix more than the actual original. <laughs> well, uh, it's a, I mean, it's a great, uh, it's something we loved as well. Do you know what I mean? Obviously there's quite a lot of our, um, our remixes that are oh, yeah. like, especially among our real hardcore cult fans that are just absolutely massive. Do you know what I mean? Like Nick McCabe, um, the people favorite. remix. Yeah. And there's Steve, uh, Pat, there's all kinds of different ones. Um, in fact, what we did, we discovered one the other day, didn't we? That we never released. They all want it by now. Oh God. Why won't the name come to me? That's really going to fucking piss me off. Um, never mind, never mind. But yeah, remixes, um, uh, definitely a really creative way of getting involved with other people. We've got fucking tons, absolutely tons. And it's always good, like for B sides and stuff like that. Although, as we've discussed, you know, we kind of looked at B sides as just as important as everything else. But yeah, man, there were some really cool remixes. Yeah, definitely. We, we loved kind of that, that remixing from, from, like really early on and got loads of remixes of tracks from like the first album done and, and things like that. We had like, you know, like four tech remixes and things like that, which, mm. you know, I look back on now and I'm like, wow, I, you know, I'm still a, a huge four tech fan. And I'm like, wow, he, he remixed one of our songs. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, that's a, you know, it's a, a great thing to be able to look back on and, and, and see those. And then, um, but I just really like the process of, of remixing somebody else's songs as well. And, you kind of realise that you're in a bit of a privileged position when you when you get to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, we were just in, you know, these three guys that formed this band and suddenly there's, there's other people asking us if we want to remix their songs. And we're like, it's a really cool thing to, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, to happen. Yeah. Um, and I just like that whole process. You just kind of deconstruct somebody's song. And the yeah. first thing that I really like about that is that you can see how they put that song together and listen yeah. to all the individual parts. And it's kind of a bit like... Um, you know, you've been a little bit nosy kind of. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I like, like that. The, the underlying stuff that you wouldn't normally get to hear in that much yeah. detail. And you're like, that's really cool. You that. see how they layered up some sounds and stuff. And, and it's just really cool to be able to do that and then just kind of trying to flip the whole thing on its head somehow. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we never, it's funny, we never got asked to do remixes, which is interesting, really, because, you know, I'd have thought our kind of vibe that, you know, someone might have asked us at some point to do a remix. I'm pretty sure, I don't think that I'm, I'm starting to remember Summit now. Did we do Summit and it didn't get used? We might have probably done it half arse, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember we, we did a remix for The Enemy um, and it was their, I can't remember what it's called now, They like their huge hit that they had and we did a remix of, of that tune. Was it that tune? Maybe it was a different one anyway. We didn't put any vocals on it. Right. It was a, it was a mistake from a remix perspective. So obviously, <laughs> like, I, I really liked it. I thought, you know, this sounds cool. It was proper, like, heavy and stuff like that. And um, it sounded really cool, this, like, really heavy beat and stuff. But it didn't have any vocals on, so nobody was ever going to use it. <laughs> I've, I've got a whole playlist of the music uh, remixes that I listen to a lot. It's It's got the yeah, we... McCabe from The People. There's a there's a Getaway. There's a Freedom Steve Fighters Morris from Wood. John Digweed. Uh, mm. Bleed from within with the white the white Duke mix, um, the price with uh, Steve uh, Fitzmaurice, fire, uh, and then strength in numbers the whip remix. So there's a, yeah you guys have a lot of really good remixes. I think there's oh, a couple the more. Yeah, the whip remix one of our songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We um, they support. I mean they supported us quite a few times the whip. Um, and obviously, did you know them when they were nylon pylon? Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh man, I fucking knew you were going to say yes. Organised face that just lit up there. Um, yeah, man, the fucking them guys were so they supported us on the tour. Uh, they were so cool. But then obviously Nylon Pylon split up, and um, Bruce went on to form um, the whip, didn't he? And they were just such fucking great guys. And that like Nylon Pylon as well. At a time when we were doing what we were doing, they were doing some really some really out there shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the drummer, Bo, was fucking unbelievable as well. Um, yeah, man, like they were a really cool band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were really cool. Um, and yeah, Bruce used to work in, um, I can't remember what the shop was called now, a music shop, you know, selling guitars and amps and things like that. So like, I just remember we used to go in there and I just used to, you know, bug him about music equipment. Yeah. Not too many times, but yeah to go in there and just have a chat about some whatever it was that we were looking to buy at that point. I think it was the point when we, you know, the label were giving us some cash to buy some actual oh, equipment that worked. Oh, yeah, um, that exciting point, yeah, yeah. That exciting <laughs> point, yeah, going in there, yeah. But yeah, really, like, really great band. I love the whip. Yeah, I like to say, lovely, lovely people. Yeah, absolutely awesome people. Some of the nicest people in bands I've met. Bruce always like just like always got a massive smile. Do you know what I mean? Such a such a vibey lad, and you know such a vibey band on stage in general. Fucking love Nylon Pylon. One of the best band names ever as well. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, man. But I suppose I mean we'll start thinking about it and wrap this up. But to be honest, I mean I'd be happy to have you on again. This has been nice and free flowing, and I bet there's loads more shit we could talk about. Um, but you know, like you say, you guys are still together. You got plans um you know are any of those plans something you can talk about yeah i mean so we we we're looking at i mean we, we're working on you know new material and, and things like that now swapping demos and and all of that kind of stuff and we have a you know a dropbox folder that's like well not hundreds but loads and loads of things in it um so we, we're kind of working through that and aiming to start recording something at some point this year it's always a little bit loose with us. Um, but yeah, to, you know, whenever we can get back together and start working on stuff, we've got um, a few gigs signed up next year as well. We're, we're supporting some really um, good friends of ours called um, Deja Vega. Um, I don't know if you've heard that band. Um, if not, you should check out that band because they are amazing. And we've, you know, we've, we've played with them a few times and stuff and they're, they're like really kind of on the rise um, now. And they've got their, I think it might be their first full like UK tour um, and doing like a, a homecoming show back in Manchester at one of them, so asked us to to come along as like a you know special guest kind of thing. Nice. Um, so we're doing like a, a a little sport with them, which is it's going to be a lot of fun. That one, loads and loads of fun. Um, and then we are playing a festival again in Manchester, a Fair Play Festival um, oh, on the the Speedy Wonderground stage. I don't know if you heard the the label Speedy Wonderground. Oh um, no. So it's. Um, it, it, it all links back to the like the acoustic anarchy stuff that I mentioned before. Um, and there's uh, a guy called uh, Pierre Hall um, who used to be part of all like the acoustic anarchy group and stuff. Um, he set up a label with uh, Dan Carey in in London called Speedy Underground. They they released all kinds of people, Kate Tempest and and oh um, like loads of just everything's cool that that label does it's right. it's unbelievably cool so they asked us to play at like their stage um at this festival in manchester so we were like yes absolutely um so really excited about doing that one as well um and then there's tentative plans for some stuff later in the year as well um but honestly i don't know about that yet um right. some you know some loose plans somebody you know our agent said do you want to play a few gigs and we're like yep we'll play a few gigs we're available these dates kind of thing we'll see yeah 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 awesome man good stuff well yeah man i mean it's been absolute pleasure 
um, to talk to you. And as I say, I'd be more than happy to to have some more conversations because I think there's other things we could touch on, to be honest. But um, yeah, um, it's great to see you looking so well, and it's good to hear that you're still you're still at it, man. And you're still, you know, hopefully you'll be at it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? And not sort of for any pressures or all like that. In the same way that I'm doing it, like you say, you get to that point, and you just you you do it because you you're driven to do it and and you love doing it. But it's been um, yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating to chat to you. So thank you very much, Lee, and um, thanks everyone for listening. And also, I can't I can't forget to say thank you to Pete fucking Fletcher as well. So yeah, thanks very much everyone thank you